Joan leaned against the sink, feeling sick. I believe you, Goldie. I believe you. Charlie has been distant since her sister left. Joan's voice cracked with emotion. What would her sister think of this? She must have waited for me to leave and snuck out just after I closed the door. It's just... Why would she take nothing with her? Goldie Oldmeyer could feel her heart thumping in her head. She knew she had to keep it together for both of them. I came over when I normally do. I didn't ever think she would just run off like that. She felt the control on her own voice slipping and so drew silent, turned back toward the door. I can go look for her. <sighs> I can do that. It's me she's angry with and I'm used to the walking. She could have gone anywhere, but without her coat, hopefully she's smart enough not to go outside. Joan pushed herself away from the sink and pulled her hair back, tying it in a loose ponytail behind her head. Can you stay here? I hate to ask that of you, but if she comes back while I'm out, it would be good to have someone here. Joan was already making her way to the door. She just needed to find Charlie quickly and get this behind them both. A flash of anger swirled within her rising fear. Of all the mean tricks to play, running off was one she never thought Charlie would do. Of course, of course I'll stay. You go and look. I'll be here. Goldie had settled herself again and turned back toward Joan, but paused when she saw the younger woman's red-rimmed eyes. She must be exhausted. A nearly 48-hour shift followed by this. We'll find her, Joan. Don't worry. I've seen these things before. You'll find her, or Charlie will return when she's cold or hungry. Miss Oldmeyer nodded in an attempt to reassure them both of the truth of her own words. I know. I'll be back soon. Joan left the room and started to make her way through the 43rd floor. As it was still late, she called softly every once in a while for Charlie and spoke quietly with a few people she met in the halls. Everyone was kind, but assured her that they had seen no little girl recently, but that they would keep their eyes open. And thus, word spread quickly of the missing girl until it found the ears of Jinx January, the building manager who immediately called Child Protective Services. Joan knew none of this, of course. She knew only that Charlie was missing and that she must be found. Hours had passed with no sign of her niece, and exhausted, Joan sat heavily on a cushioned ottoman that sat just outside the elevator. She didn't even know what floor she was on, having swept every floor on her way down the building. Why, miss, would you mind answering a question for me? Joan couldn't help but choke back a brief sob before covering her face by looking at the floor and fiddling with her hair for a moment. After she'd composed herself, she looked up at the stranger whose countenance softened immediately. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been a long day. Perhaps someone else can help you. Oh, but wait. This is the woman I met with only a few hours ago. At the department store. I'm sorry. But I believe I never got your name. The older man seemed almost as surprised as she at the mention of the chance meeting that seemed like a very long time ago. 
I... I... Joan looked harder at the face she saw before her. He wore an old sports coat now, but there was no mistaking that kindly face. For a moment, she sought her mind for his name. Rupert. It was Rupert, wasn't it? I mean, Mr. Kurtzman? The smile reappeared on the old man's face. Well, this must look very bad indeed. As though I were following you around, but I hope you know that this is purely the most astonishing of coincidences. The older man replied. He lifted his hand, motioning to the space beside her. Would you mind if I sat for a moment? I'm afraid these old bones are not as youthful as they once were, and I've been walking the building quite a bit this evening. Joan moved over to give him room. Her own thinking now completely fogged. She should have been much more worried about being surprised by this man, now twice, and yet his mannerisms instead placed her at ease. Well, I can't imagine why anyone would want to walk around in here. She mentioned, realizing immediately that she was doing the same. Say, you haven't seen a little girl, have you? Oh, you mean Charlie? Again, she should have been taken aback at his knowing her niece's name, but then remembered that she had mentioned Charlie when they first met. Clearly this man's mind was anything but old. Yes, Charlie. I guess you wouldn't know what she looked like. She seems to have run off. My dear, I'm so sorry. I have seen a few children about, but they seem to be with their own families. Perhaps you could give me a description and I could help you look? Again, his voice was warm and kind and seemingly filled with authentic concern. No, no, this isn't your problem. I wouldn't want to trouble you, but if you do see a young girl, she's 11 with dark hair and normally very shy. Joan paused a moment as she stood up again feeling somewhat refreshed. I need to be looking again. I'm on the 43rd floor, and my name is Joan. Joan Willard Stewart. If you see her... She paused a moment while he stood to his feet as well. Absolutely. I will keep my eyes open for your young Charlie. I'm sure she's all right. I just have a feeling. With this, he smiled as he lifted a hand with a finger in the air. Thank you, Mr. Kurtzman. Good night. With that, Joan headed for the stairs and the next floor below. Adeline stood on the edge of the massive stump, her lean form silhouetted by the dark wood all around. She surveyed the gathering of woodlings that had come at her summons. They were so few now. The deer, of course, and beavers were always loyal to the forest. The smaller creatures as well as the leaders of the flight of the forest were gathered on the lower limbs of the surrounding trees so as to be better able to see her. It was the absences that worried her most. The bears, the wolves, even the great cats were missing. This was not a good sign. We knew this moment would come. 
Adeline's voice carried well and drew the assembly to a quiet hush. We knew this moment would come but did not do enough to prevent it. Long have the woodlings stood against dangers that would tear our forest down. We have fought the blight with everything we have and held it at bay. It was in fact this very struggle that had contributed most to the dwindling numbers. Creatures tired of facing a foe they could not see and now eager for some other solution. You know as well as I that Millicent has been at work attempting to reawaken the ancient powers. This was received with nods all around. Millicent and her minions had been recruiting heavily for many cycles now. They had preached about an alternative to the fight against the Blight. Millicent believed that she could raise the ancient powers and control them to use against the Blight. Adeline believed differently. After months of investigation, she was now certain that the ancient powers were likely behind the Blight, using its destructive powers to divide the woodlings as it indeed had. Millicent now has what she needs, what she has been seeking. The Outworlders have come, and this time they have brought with them what we feared. Even now, I am told that she prepares to call the Ancient Powers at the Place of the Stones. If she does so, she will unleash catastrophe on us all. All were silent around her now. Adeline allowed the silence to settle deeply before continuing. It is true that our numbers now are small. If Millicent is able to accomplish what she seeks, we may be too few to stand against her and those that have gone to her side. Eline began to walk slowly at the edge of the stump now. But we are the woodlings. We are bound to this great forest. This is our home. For uncounted cycles, we and our ancestors have stood against every power that threatened. She turned back toward them, rage filling her voice. Only once has one of our own turned against the forest. In saying this, she stomped a hoof on the great stump, which was created that day as the mother tree had been cut down. We are few, but we are determined. We are few, but we will stand together. We are few, but we rally this day to stand against this evil. We are few, but we are the forest, and the forest is ours. To the place of the stones, to stop this madness. We are the forest, and the forest is ours. We are the forest, and the forest is ours. Again, great cries arose from the woodlings as they turned as one and began to make their way to the place of stones with speed. In moments, Adeline was alone, as silence now hung heavy over the great stump. We are few. Too few, I fear she said softly before, leaping off and chasing after the others.
Stay back, you two, urged old Pete. As he lofted a wing, as if to shelter Mift and Salazar as he turned to face the opening of the cave. What is it? chirped Salazar as he fluttered up into the air to catch a glimpse beyond Pete's very large shape. Dayu! Dayu! added Mift as he jumped down and sprinted through the brush, appearing on top of another rock just to the side. With a great slurp, Old Pete scooped up a mouthful of water from the small pool and slowly stumped his way toward the cave. He gurgled as water sloshed from his brimming beak. And with that, he arched back, drawing air through his nostrils and blew a tremendous stream of water toward the mouth of the cave, which unsettled a wooden beam that seemed to have been propping up a great bucket, which in turn tipped and then dumped the entirety of its contents down the shaft of the cave. Ha! Trumpeted Pete proudly as he danced from one great foot to the next. Let's see him survive that. Can't sneak up on old Pete. No, sir. Jeremy and Charlie had been traveling steadily upward for some time now and she began to think that they were actually going to escape this dreadfully dark cave. I think I see the light ahead, Jeremy. Charlie noted with delight as the first dim rays of light began to filter into the cave. A light breeze had also begun to blow sweet warm air into the dampness around them. Ah, uh, yes, said Jeremy brightly. I believe we are about to be free of this place. But, but, but wait, I... I sense something. Even as he was saying this, a deluge of water filled the cavern nearly to the top, lifting both of them off their feet and tossing them backward along with a stream in a tumble down the cave. It was only with Jeremy's heroic effort in throwing out his wings against either side of the shaft grabbing Charlie with one foot that they managed not to be sent all the way back into the cave. After several moments, the water flow subsided and Jeremy and Charlie, now soaked, managed to get back to their feet. <coughs> what? What was that? Choked Charlie as she coughed water from her lungs. <coughs> Jeremy does, does not know. There is no waterfall this way. This is very strange. Perhaps we should be more careful. With this said, the pair of them made their way back up the sloping path and finally into the mouth of the cave. Now, you strangers don't make another move cried out old Pete as he lofted both wings and fluffed his feathers out in intimidation. Old Pete has plenty more where that came from. Charlie had just emerged from the cave mouth behind Jeremy as she caught sight of the surprisingly large bird dancing about in front of her. While Charlie was not tall, she was still a head taller than either Jeremy or this new creature. And after everything she had been through, she was not about to be bullied by yet another creature. Placing hands on her hips, she replied, Now wait right there, Mr. Parrot. I'm tired, I'm cold, 
and now I'm all wet. And I just want to wake up from this terrible dream. I don't have any plans to hurt you or anyone else, but I will not be bullied. This time, she felt quite proud of herself for the sternness in her voice. And then she saw the familiar little bird and chipmunk that had stolen her locket. And you two again. She glared at the pair of Mift and Salazar, who both skittered back under her withering gaze. Very bright, offered Mift sheepishly. Well now, replied Pete as he fluffed his feathers as much as he could and hopped back up onto the rim of rocks surrounding the small open space. This is my home, little soft skin. You have no right to be here, so don't be getting yourself all high and mighty. Why, look at yourself. You look terrible. Good folk know to keep better care of their feathers than that. He puffed himself up again, seemingly unfazed by her outburst. At this proclamation, Charlie's eyes dropped to her soiled nightgown and saw that it was truly ruined. Mud and dirt had deeply stained the entire nightgown, the nightgown that Cassie had worn and given her on the day she left. Oh no. There, see? Pete trumpeted with a nod-sounding bark of pride. And meddling with a bat as well. Everyone knows you can't trust a bat. Why, I should hand you over to Lieutenant Stone and be done with you. At this, Jeremy slumped down dejectedly. But the small finch flittered its way up between the two groups. Now, listen here. Salazar began tentatively, attempting to imagine how Adeline would handle this situation. All of us just need to take a deep breath. Jeremy took in a deep breath and held it, causing Salazar to look about and reply with some frustration in his voice. Not literally take a deep breath, it's, it's just a saying. At this, the little bird alighted on the ground beneath all the parties. Well then, little lunch snack, if you're going to be in charge now, you're doing a terrible job, replied Pete. You've got that little soft skin and that stinky bat nearly in tears. Once again, Pete harumphed and flapped his wings. Hey there! Hey there! Snapped Mift as he scampered from his spot to join his friend in the center. A very stern look on his face. The small creature fixed his bright eyes on each of the group in turn. When he had everyone's attention, he nodded to Salazar to continue, adding a satisfied... Hey there! Appreciative of his companion's assistance, Salazar turned to Charlie. We're all very sorry that you've been treated so badly. Our home is normally a wonderful place, but I'm afraid that terrible things are happening now. Your locket has been taken and it is being used to bring a dangerous power back. One that will likely destroy all of us. We need your help, I'm afraid. With this, he turned to Jeremy and to Pete in turn. We need all of your help. All of us need each other, and we need to work together. Salazar then flittered into the air in front of Pete. Great Pete, we need you to raise the stone army. You're the only one that can do it. With a shrug, old Pete let his feathers droop and dropped his wings. And with a long sigh, he sat heavily on the ground before replying. 
Actually, little fella, that one is the only one that can raise the stone army. Charlie had just looked up to see the large parrot-like bird pointing his wing directly at her. What? Me? How can I possibly raise an army? I'm just... I'm nobody. Miss Fillmore had not been to this building for several years, but remembered its plain walls well. Each floor was decorated with the minimal industrial drab required of such places. Upon arriving on the 43rd floor and assuring Jinx that she did not need his help further, the social worker took note of the dilapidated state of things. The carpet was completely worn away down the center and the air tasted stagnant and musty. Room 4312 was just off the main corridor and about midway down the narrow hallway. The lights here were at least all in working order. This is no place to raise a child. The caseworker murmured to herself before knocking softly on the door. She waited a moment and then knocked again, adding, Miss Williard Stewart, I'm here about Charlie. A lock on the other side of the door slid clean the door opened a crack, with the face of an elderly woman peering out questioningly. I'm sorry, Joan isn't in right now. Perhaps you could come by at a different time? Miss Oldmeyer had never seen this newcomer, but her prim appearance and the satchel in her hand could not be a good sign. I'm here from CPS. Perhaps you could let me in and we can wait for her to return? Miss Fillmore eyed the older woman a moment longer, before adding on a guess. Miss Oldmeyer, I presume? At the mention of her name, Miss Oldmeyer stepped back, involuntarily opening the door wider before realizing what she had done. But the younger woman read that as a sign and was already gently but firmly pushing the door wider. I suspected as much. And I have a few questions for you as well, if you have the time. The caseworker could read body language well, and this woman wanted nothing more than to run, a sure sign that she would have valuable information. I... I don't really know anything about Charlie. I just watched the place when Joan is at work. Goldie's mind was racing now as words were involuntarily spilling out as she sought for something to anchor her mind. Perhaps, perhaps I could put some tea on? Without waiting for a response, the older woman turned quickly and made her way to the kitchen. Miss Williard Stewart. Miss Fillmore began before correcting herself. I mean, Joan keeps a clean home. She observed as her eyes scanned the small living space. It was indeed very clean and tidy, with a beautiful array of artwork hanging on the walls. Quite pretty, actually. Is she an artist? These paintings are beautiful. That was something Miss Oldmeyer had no trouble talking about. Having set the water to boil, she turned back around and proudly looked to a small painted portrait that hung just off the kitchen. This is my favorite. It's the girls with their mother, painted from an old picture, but with so much more color than the original. These were all painted by the eldest girl, Cassie. Her smile faded a bit. Yes, 
Cassie is in a boarding school right now? The governor's school, isn't that right? Miss Fillmore was taking her time, looking at each picture in turn as she inspected the home. Very prestigious, and on a full scholarship, I understand. That's... that's very rare. She turned back to the older woman and saw a wistful smile on her face. You really care for these girls, don't you? And for their aunt. Goldie dropped her hands along with her eyes, but steeled herself after a moment and looked back up. This is a good family. They've already been through so much. Please don't break them up. It, it just wouldn't be right. Emotion tinged her voice as she finished, but the whistle of the kettle allowed her to turn away. Waiting for the kettle whistle to die down, Miss Fillmore allowed the older woman to serve her a steaming cup of tea before responding softly. I'm not here to break a family apart. I'm only here to make sure that Charlie is okay. Perhaps you can tell me what you know. Yes, there isn't much to tell about the girl disappearing, but I can tell you about the three of them. I can do that. With that, Goldie nodded toward the kitchen, where the two took a seat at the small table. Crafton had never felt such power, had never imagined that such power could exist, but struggled to maintain control of his own consciousness as he swooped in strange and perilous and impossible ways. Time itself seemed to stand still as the locket and the small moon pressed against his great feathered chest, burning like an iron brand. Split between the exhilaration and pain, the Kia continued to fight against the force that seemed to have gripped him. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, the power ceased and the Kia fell limply to the ground with a heavy thud. You outworlders know nothing. The great blue heron finished etching the final symbol to the slate and took a moment to survey her work with great satisfaction. Gently setting the slate down in the center of the stone slab, she walked her stiff-legged way over to the crumpled form of the Kia and with a few swift motions, clipped the locket and small moon, both of which had faded to a blackened shell of their former luster. Casting the locket aside, she lifted the moon for closer inspection. An amazing amount of power in such a small thing. This too she then cast aside turning away from the Kia, who lay unconscious near one of the large surrounding stones. Now you shall behold true power! Shrieked the heron into the darkness, 
her voice echoing within the semi-enclosed space. Making her way back to the center of the stone circle, the heron balanced on one leg as she took the slate into the claw of the other to lift the stone to where she could see it. Taking in a deep breath, it was as though the very shadows around her grew darker still. Swirling as they did as the sound of thunder began to groan overhead. Then the great bird chanted the verses she had just scripted from the Kia's dance. Thunder from the darkness, fires from the deep, powers that are ancient, awaken from your sleep. Within these ancient stones, your promise you must keep. Your powers now I claim, my enemies to defeat. This vessel you shall fill. The ritual is complete. Thunder roared and rolled and echoed within the stones as the air swirled into a vortex of darkness with Millicent at its center. And then a deafening crack as the great stone split and Millicent lifted with wings outspread into the air, at first floating and then spiraling up into the storm. Her voice now echoed in the surrounding wood, shaking the trees as she ordered her minions to follow. To the great stump, where we shall end the final threat. And there, the ancient powers shall be mine. <laughs> her cackle echoed as the storm slowly made its way from the place of stones toward the gathering army of woodlings to the north. In its wake, a howling, snarling horde followed, their rage growing with their numbers as dark shapes swirled about them, urging them on. Crafton had come too in the midst of the impressive ceremony, but had remained still. The fall had knocked him unconscious, but his wings felt fine. As the slavering horde moved north, he gathered himself to his feet and shook the dust from his feathers. He caught sight of the burnt locket and the small moon. This he picked up with one taloned claw and inspected closely. So the witch was using me. Well, two can play this game, but carefully now. I must find Marvelous. The master was right about this place. There is power here. Seeing that the small moon appeared to be devoid of its power, he tossed it aside. His talons and wits would have to serve him now. With that, he lifted himself into the air, wheeling to the east, where Marvelous had last been sent. Enjoy this while it lasts, Millicent. This power you have will soon be mine. Part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent, the Great Blue Heron, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart 
Charlie's aunt is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the maintenance chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the building manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky Podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Gates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris the Wolf is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bob Anit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season.